I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, detecting lies, deception and fraud in the world of business. Dealing with deceit when it's right in front of you is a tough ask. Understanding how to get information from a corporate criminal is not for the faint-hearted, and our criminal justice system is littered with tales of interviews gone wrong and subsequently failed prosecutions. So who better to help us understand more than the man who formerly oversaw all criminal investigations, undercover operations and electronic surveillance in New South Wales, former Deputy Commissioner Dave Owens. Dave, let's start at the beginning. It's 1981 and a younger Dave Owens has made the decision to become a police officer. What were you thinking? What was driving that decision? I had done about three months at university, Sydney Uni, doing a teaching degree there. Found out it wasn't for me. The social side was, but the study, not so much. And actually just saw an ad, you know, join the police. This is what they offer. Good wage, good lifestyle. And I was a private school boy and invincible back then. I know certainly different now. And the cops seemed like a really good idea. And for 30 years, absolutely loved it. Did it turn out to be what you expected? Oh, you know, that and a whole lot more. Blindsided in some areas. Would I recommend my own kids to go into it as long as they go in with their eyes open? A hundred percent. I have a saying, I miss the circus. I don't miss some of the clowns. And that's with the cops. That's very true. Politics at the end is not so much policing. It's about politics. And I won't ask you about the clowns, but I, I will ask you about the crooks. Are there any crooks that stand out to you over that 30 years of policing that really stick with you as someone who surprised you, who their level of deceit, their level of manipulation? Is there someone or a group of people that, that stick with you? It changed so much over the 30 years. You know, when I first started, it was old school crooks that would have a beer. They were hard crooks. That's how I'd refer to them. Fraud used to be, oh, it never hurts anybody. You know, it's white collar crime. So no one really gets hurt. Well, sorry, but yeah, they do massively. That's how it, I've seen it change over the years. Look, probably the crook that surprised me the most is Michael Canane down at uh, the White City Tennis Court shootings when I was a duty officer at Rose Bay. The guy shot a bloke because he looked at him the wrong way outside a pub in Leichhardt, then opened fire on two police officers. He just had no concept of what real life or value was about. And he just, you know, I still don't think he does to this day. And you draw a really interesting comparison there between some violent criminals and, you know, what we often call white-collar criminals or, or fraudsters are they different? Are they different types of people? Oh, they're all crooks. Just that the ones doing white collar don't see themselves as that. They have a lifestyle that they want to live or they've got themselves in a situation that they can't get out of and they just keep digging the hole, trying to get out of it or keep living the lifestyle by deception all the way through of friends, of family. And that's the biggest thing that gets me is these people... It's not somebody who they don't know that they're deceiving. It's friends and family. And we're talking millions and millions of dollars in some instances. And talking there about deceit, as you've said, crooks start lying to you as soon as they open their mouth and they stop lying to you when they stop opening their mouth. But how have you dealt with that over the years? How have you dealt with that constant barrage of, of people looking to deceive you? Oh, look, it comes in many ways. I think technology's probably changed 
a lot of things now, particularly with investigations. Investigations, you've got to have the CCT footage, you've got to have the DNA, all the ducks need to line up in a row. In the past, you didn't have that quite as much. You had to prove to the crook that you knew what they did. You had proof to prove what they did, and therefore you'd get an admission. Nowadays, it's everything is recorded, everything's on body cams, everything is technology. So it's hard. Some crooks, even when they're fronted with the truth, they see themselves on video and they will lie <laughs> till they're blue in the face saying, it's not me. And you're going, it's you. I can see you on the video. Like, no, nah, not me. No, nah, must be my twin brother. Do you have a twin brother? No. Nah. I don't. You go, mate, it's you. Like, yeah, they won't admit anything, even when caught red-handed. Deny, deny, deny. In 30 years, obviously a long time, number of different roles you had over that period, all the way from a constable all the way through to deputy commissioner. Have crooks changed over that 30 years? Oh, yeah. It's a saying, but I think it's true, is, is honour amongst thieves. There used to be some credibility amongst the crooks. If you'd catch them fair dinkum, they would normally go, yep, you got me fair dinkum, and they'd wear it. They know they were caught. Nowadays, because of the money that's involved, there's no boundaries and there's no honour amongst thieves. They'll do anything for money. How is that different to 25 years ago when you were starting out as a detective? A lot of the older time crooks would keep their mouths shut. They wouldn't talk. You know, I'm not saying a word. Whereas nowadays, a lot of them, they're caught, what deal can I broker? Who can I give up to get a lighter sentence? And they'll give anybody up to protect themselves. So they say they're harder crooks. They're more sophisticated crooks. They're using technology and all this. But as soon as they're caught, or you want someone bigger than me, I'll give someone up. I'm happy to give someone up as long as I get a lighter sentence. Old time crooks would just sit there and look at you for hours on end and you could ask them whatever you want, and they'd just sit there and look at you because they weren't saying a word. Do your best, but I ain't helping you. And I know you and I have spent some time in, inside interview rooms talking to, to criminals, but the vast majority of people haven't. How do you explain what it's like inside that interview room? What happens? How does it unfold? How do you help somebody who hasn't been there understand what it's like? I don't want to say it's a game, but it sort of is. You're pitting your wits against the criminal and you have a strategy that you stick to, it may change through the interview depending on what the criminal says, but it's you testing your skills and ability against theirs. And I guess to an extent, you've got to say your ego against theirs because you're doing the right thing. You're trying to put someone behind bars for a crime that they committed and convict them, whereas they're doing everything they can to throw you off and point to someone else or I wasn't there, didn't do it. It is exciting. I guess that's the word I'd use because I don't know if it's exciting or if it's satisfying that you go through that process and in the end, there'll be a point in time when you go, I got you. Now, it's not verbally, you don't say it in the interview, you know, I've, I've literally got you, but it's you answered that one wrong or you went down the wrong track or you've just given me something that I haven't had before because as long as you keep them talking or an absence of talking, they will fill that void with conversation and that's what you're looking for. The more they're going to talk, the more chance they're going to say something that will incriminate them. 
And we've heard in a, a few earlier episodes from our forensic psychologists that the purpose of those interviews is not always to get a confession, or it's often not to get a confession because crooks often don't confess. It's to get a version of events that you can later prove or disprove. How do you help people understand that? Because I think we've all seen TV and we all think we're going to slap the desk and get a confession. It's not like that, is it? No, all crime is not solved within one hour. It's not CSI. It's not, you know, they're great shows, great entertainment, but this is painstaking, meticulous work, particularly with some of the homicide investigators. Those guys are just outstanding. Their attention to detail is exactly as you say is, give me a version of your truth and I will pit it against what we actually know. And that's what they're out to get is tie them down to a version and then you pick that version apart and you fill in the gaps or you have the other version and they might, they generally give you a little bit of the truth because a little bit of the truth is woven into their lies to make it realistic. But solving a homicide, no greater satisfaction, getting a young kid returned to their parents unharmed, no greater satisfaction to an investigator. And fraudsters, they're a little bit different to other criminals in the sense that they often think they're smarter than you. And they're often much more likely to talk or give a version of events than perhaps other criminals. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, they think they're a step above you. You're a flat foot. They're a white collar crime, white collar criminal. They want to tell you. They want to show you how smart they are and how dumb you are. So you go, okay, let me know. Tell me. And normally they're happy to tell you, which is, you know, would you like another nail? Because you're just hammering in your coffin. And it's great that they do that. But they are a different breed. They're equally out for the thrill of committing the crime as what somebody who's doing theft, you know, stealing. It's exactly the same. But they don't see it that way. They think they're only hurting a corporate entity. They're not hurting individuals. And insurance will cover that money. So I'm not really hurting anyone. Does it really matter? It's not really a crime. That's how they convince themselves to keep going back to the well and keep taking from the funds off people. And have you seen that over the years? When fraudsters have committed a crime and been caught, do they come back and do it again? I've seen repeat offenders time and time again, sometimes very rarely using the same strategy. Normally they've tested their art out whilst they've been in jail. They've thought about it. They've manipulated the system and they're trying something new. Because they go, okay, I tried that one, I got caught, now I'll try something different. But it's very difficult for somebody who's had that rush of blood, who's had that exposure to lifestyle, how are they going to give that up all of a sudden to go and work Monday to Friday, nine to five, like normal human beings do. And at the end of your career, you were Deputy Commissioner in charge of counterterrorism, State Crime Command, which is major crime investigations in New South Wales. In that role, deception's being used for good, particularly in undercover operations and electronic surveillance. How do you reconcile deception for good and deception for bad? Well, exactly as you said, it's being used for good. It's being used to not do something that the person wouldn't otherwise do, but it's to interrupt that practice or get ahead of the person or an understanding of the processes so that you can end up locking that person up or the group up normally. It's a different lifestyle. They've got to take on an identity that they've got to be able to click on and click off. It's really hard. And, you know, full credit to the people that do that. There's been some massive breakthrough in cases simply because a UC has been able to sit there and talk to someone and gain their confidence. And again, the person can't help but talk. 
and a UC, obviously, an undercover operative, that's a whole new level of deception, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got to have very good memory if you're going to tell lies because you've got to remember what lies you've told to who and when because they will remember. And that's generally why the UC undercover guy has a really, really good memory. They're very good at what they do. And again, you've got to weave in a little bit of the truth with uh, deception to make it that more believable. And one of those things that that us that have grown up through perhaps law enforcement or or doing corporate investigations, we get used to being lied to constantly, 24-7. How have you learned to switch that off in your personal life? Because that can be a challenge, can't it? Oh, yeah. I drive my wife crazy. I can sum someone up in about 30 seconds and I go, no, don't like them. Or I go, yeah, that person's A grade. And it's not a boast, but I've been wrong once because it's a self-defense mechanism that are you crook, are you cop, are you a normal person? You know, if you're a normal person, you've got to flick that switch and deal with it differently. But, yeah, it's difficult, and I've been out, what, 10 years now, and probably the last two I've been able to do it really effectively. That's how long your system stays in, your protective mechanism, that is this person good or evil, they lying to me, is their background. You know, my three kids, I was probably overprotective with my kids because of what you see every day. 30 years, is there something that sticks out in your memory as, as a really memorable moment of policing? Oh, there's so many. Look, the people that you get to work with, they are just some of the finest human beings you'd ever want to meet and they're lifelong friends. And I, I have a lot in there that are still, we're all out. We still meet, we still have a chat. The stories get bigger. So everyone knows the truth, but everybody's happy to have a laugh. And when you think you write yourself into doing a bigger job than you did and you didn't, again, the deception. But no, look, I had the absolute pleasure of doing the Sydney Olympics I had the pleasure of doing APEC, the World Leaders Conference here. I had the Pope's visit for World Youth Day. But some simple stuff, you know, just convicting offenders that needed to go behind bars. And occasionally somebody would come up and say, thank you. And you know what? That to me sounds really corny, but that made it all worthwhile. You just mentioned APEC there and reminds me of something that happened during APEC that probably many of us have forgotten. (laughs) And there was a little bit of deception that happened during APEC with a comedy group who managed to get inside the perimeter and make their way to a hotel. How do you feel about that deception today? Probably the same as I did at the time. Privately, I had a bit of a chuckle. When you look at the video, what they did, you just think, you lunatics, what are you doing? You know, you're lucky you didn't get shot. They didn't go near the US consulate or where anybody was staying, which was a good thing. Did they get through the first level of security? Yeah, they did. Human error. You know, that's going to happen. But it's hard standing before the cameras, trying not to have a little smirk on your face going, yeah, well, it was actually a little funny. But at the time, no, it was deadly serious. And, you know, the boys shouldn't have done it and it won't happen again. And it didn't. And you did a wonderful job looking after everyone at APEC. As we finish up today, is there one bit of advice you'd give to budding investigators out there that they could take and and use? Listen to senior investigators because they've been there, done that, and they're not boasting in their stories. They're telling you how to go about some investigations and you learn from them. Then always be true to yourself. You know when someone's telling the truth. Equally, if somebody is not guilty and you know they're not guilty, go to the nth degree to prove that they're not guilty. 
don't just leave it as, oh, I'm just going to leave that open and it's going to hang over their head. Do the right thing and always be true to yourself as you go through. And that's in all your investigations, everything you do, the normal test of the public is, is it the right thing to do? And you'll always know. If you say the telegraph test, if that was on the front page of the telly, would my mum be proud of it? Yeah, beauty. Crooks are crooks, no matter who they are. It's just their crimes that vary. Or are they? Over this series, we've heard that individuals often set out to deceive. But what happens when criminals start to collude together in corporations? Are crooks at the big end of town the same as the ones you find on the street? Next episode, we'll delve into what really happens when criminals operate in corporations. What happens when the criminal is no longer an individual, but a company? Cameron Watts, the former Australian Federal Police National Team Leader of Foreign Bribery, will lift the veil on corporate crime as we explore corporate corruption. If somebody in the corporate world that is considering or actively doing something that they think or they know is illegal, you're going to be dealing with law enforcement agencies that have the power to listen to your phone calls, to monitor your email, to have surveillance devices on you and uh, other things related to you and the potential conduct. If you'd like to know more about how KPMG works with organisations to prevent deception and restore trust, head over to our website, which you can find by searching KPMG Forensic. I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, and I'll see you next time.